start getting excited, you hear the music, you know what's about to happen. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and a huge show on tap tonight. And Ira, I, I can't remember a day in any sport where we had such an exciting weekend of, of playoff games. This was just absolutely incredible, and you were a part of it. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a great a great a great weekend of NFL games, and then I'm now in New Orleans. Uh, getting ready for the national championship game. So you had four good games Saturday and Sunday, and then you come into uh, the national championship game today. Then next week on Sunday, I'm going to be at San Francisco Green Bay, and then two weeks in the Super Bowl. So of the four big games left, starting tonight of football, the four only games left in football, I'll be at three of the four. Yeah, and- I am pumped for this, <laughs> for the game tonight. I was pumped for the games on, on Saturday, last Saturday and Sunday. This is Total football season. No, yeah, this is this was as good as we could have asked for. I, I mean, these were great games. I, I just loved this weekend. You were in Baltimore. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but like I said, th- this show is actually pre-recorded because Ira, you're going to be ready to go tonight for the national championship. Yeah, we're. <laughs> I already got my ticket. I'm in the Bourbon Orleans Hotel. It's. I would like to tell you that people are going crazy. I I landed in the plane. I didn't sense this excitement that I normally would get at games like this. Um, I guess it's the people might have been out partying a lot late last night. Um, but after we're done recording the show, and I'm going to go down. It'll be about three o'clock our time. Games at seven o'clock, and then uh, we got my ticket, so I'll head in you know early to the game. I like coming to these games super early and getting all the excitement. Ira, do you think that maybe the reason that there's not so much going on is because it's essentially a home game for LSU? It's not like you've got you know two fan bases coming you know to town and stirring stuff up in the in the main areas because one team is probably at work. You know, one fan base is at work right now. Well, I've seen clubs. There's a. I think it'll be probably sixty five, thirty five. I'm just guessing where the tickets are. I'm looking when I was looking to buy tickets on either side of the stadium. The Clemson side was about twenty five percent less in ticket prices than the LSU side. It's still fairly close for someone. I mean, not that, but it's, it's still drivable for South Carolina people to come to these games. I think what sort of maybe depresses the market for Clemson fans, they've been in the finals so many years yeah. that uh, people say, hey, I was there the last two years, I don't need to go this year, that type of thing. Whereas this is huge, of course, for LSU. So, But I, I think maybe, I think there'll be, there'll be Clemson fans there. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be 90-10 like percentage. I mean, I, I think it'll, it'll be a good, it'll be a good, uh, it'll be a good, uh, showing of Clemson fans. Um, we're going to have in just a little bit Justin Watson of the Tampa Bay Bucks on. Can you tell us a little bit about Justin Watson? Uh, Justin uh, is uh, just finished his season for the Buccaneers, his second year. He's tight end, uh, wide receiver. And I think he has some good insight because, first of all, he also went to the University of Pennsylvania as like the greatest football player in the history of the University of Pennsylvania since John Heisman. He was <laughs> but uh, um, so Justin is played, they play San Francisco, they play Tennessee, so he can have some insight in that. And also he played, he's one of the best special teams players in the NFL. And considering the new coach of the New York football giants is, is a, is a special teams coach from the Patriots, we can get an insight and got a lot of criticism for just, just being a special teams coach. We can get some insight in terms of, of that situation. But uh, I'm excited to have Justin on. I did think the criticism's a little unfair because there's been a lot of guys with special teams backgrounds like Bill Belichick that have had amazing careers, obviously. So that'll be really interesting catching up with Justin Watson uh, here in a little bit. We talked earlier, Ira, you were in Baltimore. And I think this is actually your second time being there this season. I think you saw a game uh, with Pittsburgh playing there. No, I saw the Patriots game. I oh, okay. Patriots Ravens. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about what went down. I, you're very familiar with Baltimore, so you know where to be. Uh, so how did all that go down? Well, um, for the pregame, I went to the casino. They have a horseshoe casino. So I wanted to watch the San Francisco game, uh, San Francisco-Minnesota. So I went there, had dinner at the casino, and, and watched the games. It was great. I mean, it was, and of course, there's purple everywhere. The fans were excited. I, had, I talk about 99%, 1%. There were no Titan fans. Like, I might have seen walking the stadium five Titan fans the whole time. Um, but there was, but it's like they came out in force. The Ravens fans were there. All in the, I mean, the purple was a different color. <laughs> Those teams don't have purple. But there was a lot of excitement. It was great being at the casino because it was, they had all the sports games. And I liked being the second game because I get to watch the first game and then walk into the stadium. And it was, it was just really good to be there at that. Uh, just to get the atmosphere, be there pretty early. It was almost four hours before game time. Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I never would think of Tennessee as being a team that really travels. They're crazy about them in Nashville and in Tennessee, but yeah, I wouldn't expect to see them, uh, you know, out and about like that as far, as far as some other these other fan bases go. So let's talk about what happened uh, before the game because you you always do get there early. Yeah, well, I'll, a, a couple things is that I want to go get pins before a game. Like, they used to play, Eddie, before every regular season NFL game, the teams hand out, like, a pin of who plays. Now, Baltimore does it. They have all the pins on, you know, like, of uh, the thing. But every other team place I've been to, which is every other stadium almost, has, is, Baltimore's the only team that does it. But I'm like, for this game, they got to have the pins of the Ravens versus the Titans, AFC Divisional Championship game, all that other stuff. Nothing. No pins, no shirts, no nothing. There wasn't even shirts that said Baltimore playoffs. Like, I could not. It was the worst merchandise selection I've ever seen. And the merchandise stores are, like, empty. Like, I'm, I'm like, I, you go to these, I've gone to so many playoff games. They're lined out of these stores. Everyone's to buy. Like, I, it has to be one of the dumbest things I've ever seen from a team. They knew they had two weeks to know who they were going to play and have something about even just playoffs, nothing on. No merchandise that said playoffs. It could have been any other game. That was the first thing. The second is that they gave out flags to everybody who walked through the stadium. Now, we're not talking about small little flags you see at parades. We're talking, they are big flags, <laughs> maybe like two feet high, two feet tall with sticks. Now, if people are drinking, the game was at 8.30, you're going to give flags with sticks out to people that have been drinking all day into a stadium. Like, who could not walk into almost any stadium with a flag? But at the Ravens, they gave them out. And, like, during the game, I was stabbed. Like, people was hard even to wave because they, get, they were something to matter with them. But people were stabbing by accident. I mean, I was just dressed in Penn State outfit. I was, like, neutral color. But people were, like, accidentally just stabbing people with these stupid sticks. But it, it was probably one of the – it was like a George Costanza decision at Yankee Stadium to <laughs> hand out these stupid flags instead of, like, the, the towels or something like that. Flags? It was the craziest idea no but yeah that's, that's weird go ahead go ahead no go ahead that's, that's just strange to me like who who was planning this game i don't know i don't know but i get there and i'm there an hour and a half before game time because i wanted to watch the end of the san francisco game in the stadium i don't hate the waiting in lines and whatever i sit down and i my observation of this is the baltimore ravens complete and utter overconfidence like, this was not – I'm going to give examples. Do you remember Rocky Three before Clubber Lang when he was <laughs> training, like, in a ballroom and they had, like, bubbles coming around and an orchestra playing and he's supposed to be getting ready? That's exactly – the Ravens did not 
think this game was going to be close at all. I'm listening to the announcers before the game. This will, every four of them or five of them is a blowout, blowout. They're out there playing, and I've gone to how many of these games I've gone to? I always get there early. They're running the drills. They're doing everything. They, everything. I mean, almost every team does the same things. I mean, the most impressive I've ever been was when uh, Bear Bryant coached Alabama and he came to Penn State. And, like, the ball did drop, and the players ran at, like, full game speed, like, tremendous. But I'm used to going to these games, and we're not talking about early on when they just come out and they're, and they're like, sweats before the game and just walk around the field. We're talking during the preparation. They were joking around. They were laughing. They were taking pictures. I have, if you go on the Ira on Sports Facebook page, Ira on Sports Instagram, I have, I have posted this picture of Lamar Jackson, like, throwing a ball with photographers, like, at a wedding, like, all taking pictures of him. And then they just stopped in the middle of their warm-ups and were, like, posing for pictures, hanging around, talking. Like, I think there was more, probably more enthusiasm at the uh, Pro Bowl warm-ups. And you could just sense that, like, the fans were like, oh, this is going to be a killing. This won't matter. This doesn't matter. But they're overconfident, and you could see. And I think this what, what happened to the Ravens was that they known that they've been the one seed for, like, a month or just six weeks. And they haven't lost in 12 games. I understand that. But whereas Tennessee, every game, the one loss, they're out of the play. They're not going to make the playoffs. And then you look at teams like Kansas City that were battling to the end to get that bye week. And Green Bay, which didn't know what they were either going to get a win the division or not. Or San Francisco, if they lost that last game to Seattle, they would have been the five seed, not the one seed. They're playing to the end. Baltimore was joking around the last month of the season. And that Steeler game, when they were just like almost mocking the Steelers, because the Steelers were so injured and playing with Duck Hodges, and they won without Lamar Jackson. It's just this total overconfidence, total unseriousness. And I'm telling you, when the playoffs come, it steps up. It steps up the intensity, and you can see it. And Tennessee was ready, and Baltimore was not. You know what? I, I agree with everything you just said. This They seemed like they were just going through the motions to get ready to play Kansas City. They did not seem serious about this at all. And I've never seen a team make less adjustments, and I think it does go to the fact that they never trailed all season. The only games they trailed, they lost. So they weren't used to playing from behind. Lamar Jackson looked like a deer in the headlights at sometimes where he's played uh, above his, you know, uh, his comfort level has been phenomenal all season long. And I absolutely agree with the week off thing. And it's essentially two weeks off because they rested everyone the week before that. When you're a team like the Patriots, that's great. You, you know, take that week off. You guys probably need it. A team like that should be playing. And obviously it's not up to them, but I think that definitely had a big effect on it. So Ira, let's, um, let's talk about the game here. Yeah, and then one thing to add is John Harbaugh, his experienced coach, Super Bowl champion coach, I, I couldn't believe he couldn't get his team ready for this game. But when they announced all the players coming out there, like, all pro this, all pro this, and everyone in the stands, you get the sense, I'm like, look around, I'm like, you, know, you guys haven't won anything. Like, they're not the Patriots that have won, like, four titles and six, you know, they haven't won anything. Like, this is a team that hasn't won a playoff game in years, and they're, they're acting like they're, like, the five-time defending champion, and this is just a, a coronation. That The attitude of the fans, the attitude of the players, and I, I'm going to bash the Ravens fans. Because when that game was near the end in the third and fourth quarters, people were leaving. Like you can't stay. Wow. Anymore. There's a chance you got to stay to the end of the game. This is a playoff game. Like I was, I was, I just was not impressed with everything about the Ravens, the fans, and it was one of the worst performances. The Steelers against Jacksonville a couple years ago did the same thing. That's when Lady and Bell showed up late to the game, and they end up losing to Jacksonville. But uh, this was the worst. I mean, to be fourteen and two, the number one seed, ten point favorite, and to just not show up for a football game, uh, just completely embarrassing. But getting into the game, uh, uh, I just, on that first drive, 
you could just see Lamar Jackson was off. I mean, he they, he he, throw, he throws he uh, uh, he throws to Mark Andrews. It was high. Andrews, they say, tips the ball, but it was just a stupid pass. And then the the Titans return the ball to the fifty. And what does Jackson do? He kicks the player who returns. He gets an unnecessary roughness penalty and sets Tennessee up at the at the thirty five yard line. Uh, Henry carries the ball four times, and then uh, then they had an unnecessary roughness penalty against Tannehill. And it was his first and goal on the sixth. And then they threw What happened was that pass that he threw to Jonas uh, Jonas at the end, that was an absolute one-handed. I got on my picture. It, what a catch. And the, the stadium was like, oh, he couldn't have been in bounds. This is crazy. And they were booing the rest. But he's clearly in bounds. It was clearly a touchdown pass. And they were like in total shock that they, they go down 7 nothing. And then they, they, then the, then they, then the, the Ravens start the second quarter, and then they drive the whole way down to the uh, 45-yard line, and they go for it on fourth down, and Jackson is stopped on fourth down, and like people were like, we always go on fourth down, like it's that's what we do. They get stopped, and then what do the Titans do right after they got stopped? Uh, that Tannehill throws to Khalif Raymond a uh, 45-yard uh, pass all the way down for a touchdown. And it was, like, perfect. I mean, Tannehill played. You look at his numbers, 85-yard pass, like, but he played the perfect game. It reminds me of Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris. Terry Bradshaw in the Super Bowl, remember the passes to Swan and Stallworth, and even uh, they were just perfect passes, but they mostly just ran the ball. That's what was the beauty of Tannehill. He didn't make mistakes, but when the Ravens were demoralized after a fourth down stop, and it was a great play call on Mike Vrabel's part. I mean, you talk, we're talking about uh, Belichick's disciples, who's going to be good, and they're all terrible. Mike Vrabel and Drew Pease, his defensive coordinator, call it a perfect game because he knew the Ravens were on their, well, like, shock. Like, we could get a we could convert on a fourth down, a fourth and a few inches, and they'd go for the juggler and get a touchdown to go up 14 nothing. And, uh, and then the Ravens go three and out. And the next series, uh, uh, the Ravens were, were able to get the ball back. After that, the Titans then, after that 14 nothing lead, didn't just go run. I mean, they had trouble. I mean, the Ravens' defense got stout. But the the, tight, the Ravens were dropping balls. Willie Snead dropped the dropped the ball. They had to settle for a field goal. Made it fourteen three. Then the Ravens drove all the way down to the forty two. And again, Hollywood Brown dropped in uh, uh, dropped the ball. And then so they made it fourteen six. So at halftime, the Ravens led in yards two hundred sixteen to one thirty nine. But it was still like fourteen six. And I think the fans were like, oh, we're down fourteen six, but we're going to come back and and we'll figure this out somehow. Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. You're listening to Ira on Sports. And Ira, let's keep going with this Baltimore game. Because like we were discussing, it, it was so uncharacteristic how, how they just didn't look like the team that just won 12 games in a row. No, it was... And they, they didn't look like that at all in the first half. But I still think... I mean, I, it's hard to say the team is still... When you're losing 14-6 to a team you're a 10-point favorite, I think they were still overconfident. Like, they were, this overconfidence, until the fourth quarter, I think it finally hit them. Like, I don't even know, like, it just seems like they just had this attitude that we're just so much better. They did not respect Tennessee. You could see that Earl, uh, um, in, in the, uh, in the uh, pregame talk, uh, Earl Thomas, when he's talking about uh, Derrick Henry and saying, oh, the Patriots didn't even try to tackle him. I mean, he's, I mean, we can tackle him. It's going to be easy. And there's this video of Henry running and Thomas getting like pushed he's spun away around. down the field <laughs> as Henry's been running. But you can just see this overconfidence carried away even the whole third quarter. So l- let's talk about uh, what happened from there because, it, it, like you said, it just never got good for, for the Ravens. Well, at, they, when they took it down, they get the kickoff second half. They take it all the way down to the 18-yard line. Easy field goal. It's fourth and one. But they decide 10 minutes to go to the third, and they decide to go 
to go to go on fourth down. And that was like, it could have cut to 14-9. And to go on fourth down there was almost like, if you're an underdog, like maybe do that. But if you're the favorite team and you're supposed to be the better team, take the points, make it 14-9, and just win the game. But again, they, they went for a fourth down, and the Tennessee defense, another Drew, uh, Drew Pease, uh, their defense coordinator, just a great call, and was able to, and Jackson went right, and then he went left, and then they, they got him behind the line it was, and stopped him. And what does the Titans do when that happens? They get, they get the ball back, and Henry runs for 66 yards <laughs> down to the six-yard line. They get down to the three, and then Henry has this great play where he goes to run the ball like Tim Tebow style. They do a direct snap, and then he just passes the ball uh, to Corey Davis, and they go up 21-6. Uh, just, it was like so demoralizing. I mean, here they are going to try to get the tying touchdown, and next thing you know, they're down 21-6. And then what happens next? The Ravens get the ball, and Jackson fumbles. I mean, this guy has turned the ball over like a handful of times all year, and he fumbles on the next exact play. Uh, Titans get the ball, and the third and goal, they run. I mean, they converted so many key third downs. Like third and one on the one, Taniel runs the option, and, uh, and, and they were all covering Henry. And I have another great picture of this, and, and Taniel was able to, to fight his way in to go up 28-6. Um, and then it's like, from then, it's like, you know, now the Ravens are playing desperately. Lamar Jackson threw another interception. Uh, Henry was running and controlling the clock. And finally, they score with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They made it 28-12. Just thinking, oh, if they score, you know, they maybe if they would have scored the two-point conversion, they'd come close. And Tennessee punted twice. So it's not like after Tennessee got to 28, they just sort of like milked the clock. They kept running. Fans started leaving. And uh, the Ravens had two 55-yard, 55-yard drives down, uh, at, you know, to 10 plays each, but both were stopped on fourth down. So here's a team when, when uh, Jackson, he, fell, he threw two interceptions, fumbled the ball once, and they were stopped on fourth down in key times of the game twice, and then in the other times, another two fourth down. But just horrendous. I mean, Taniel, 7 for 14, 88 yards, two touchdowns. Derrick Henry, 30 yards, 30 carries, 195 yards. He's now had three straight games over 175 yards. It hasn't been done in the NFL since 1970. Playoffs, regular season, anything. Uh, Jackson, look at the stats, 31 for 59, 365 yards, one touchdown, but two interceptions and a fumble killed him. He carried the ball 20 times for 143 yards. The Ravens ran 88 plays. Lamar Jackson either ran or passed 79 of them. Now, people kept saying that was going to be a problem, and it was. There was it's easy to defense one guy. I mean, this isn't high school football where one guy can just possibly do everything. The Ravens ended up with 29 first downs and Titans 15, uh, and the Ravens were 11-8 and eight for 18 on third down. And they ran 40 more plays than the Titans, and they got still kill of the game. So it just shows you what stats are and what they mean. But it was just a, one of those wins where the Titans did everything right. Derrick Henry showed he is the best running back in the NFL, bar none. And Ryan Tannehill, just the way he managed the game, the key passes he made, made no mistakes, and the Tennessee defense, big play after big play. Nobody could stop Jackson the entire year. Tennessee did it. So, Ira, one of the things that really stood out to me, that Der- you know, Derrick Henry's an absolute monster physically. 6'4", 235, that's a lie. He's like 255. That guy's, I don't know how he could be only 235. But one of the things that stood out to me was... There was three or four, maybe even five times, where he was through the second level of the defense untouched. Like, he doesn't even need to be a monster. He's so fast and elusive. It was ridiculously impressive. One of the things that stood out to me, too, was just like you said, how well Mike Rabel and, and that entire team were prepared. On offense and defense, they just looked really good. Let's change this up. Um, 
So I, I'm not. I, I definitely talk a little bit about when I, I'm right in, in my predictions. My lock of the day yesterday was Minnesota plus seven and a half, and boy, I could not have been more wrong. They just got dominated on both lines the entire game. Well, we've talked about this. I, I thought San Francisco defense, and it started that New Orleans game a couple of weeks ago when they gave up the forty points. And I'm thinking, boy, San Francisco's defense just doesn't look like it did early in the year. But they got their guys back. D Ford. Kwan Alexander, I mean, they came back, and this defense just was rock solid. I, I mean, if you look at this, you talk about statistics at the end of this game. Uh, San Francisco had 21 first downs, Minnesota 7. Minnesota, oh, this is an NFL playoff game. In nice weather conditions, Minnesota only had 147 yards the entire game. Uh, they, 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 Delvin Cook, who had been running like Henry had been the last few weeks of the season, Nine carries for 18 yards. I mean, I think part of this could be that Minnesota got out of their game and out of their, their whatever, but they weren't down that many points. I mean, I just felt like, boy, San Francisco defense just played great. I mean, it was, it was like one of those, it was, you know, it was, Jimmy G drove the team down and Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders, good passing, smart passing. Uh, they made seven nothing, but the Vikings came back and had a 41 yard pass to Diggs. So the 140 yards, Minnesota uh, gained, it was all like one third of it was on one play. Um, but then, it, then Tevin Coleman ran well. What's amazing with the Niners, you don't know who's going to carry the ball. They have uh, Rasim Rimo start, uh, Matt Breida, and Tevin Coleman. If you don't know who's going to come in, who's playing well, and he ran. This was Tevin Coleman's game, and he played great. Uh, and even when Jimmy G made that terrible, I mean, they're up 14 7, they're control of the game, and he throws an interception in the 19 yard line. I mean, that was just, you cannot do that. But Minnesota was held to a field goal, 14 10, and uh, the start of the second half, San Francisco made it 17 10. And I'm sitting there in the bar saying, I don't know if this game's going to be great. Like, when I'm going to walk in the stadium. But the next thing you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the, they punted to the Vikings. Uh, they fumbled, the Vikings fumbled the punt, 27 10. Uh, and then from 4.49 left in the third. The Vikings went three and out, three and out, three and out, combined minus three yards. I mean, they didn't even do anything until four minutes left in the game. The score is 27 to 10. But just a, an utter shellacking by San Francisco. This was the one game that wasn't, wasn't of course, close at all. And uh, But uh, just it, San Francisco looks like they're back, and that's why they're a seven-point favorite against Green Bay next week. Yeah, and they should be. It's deserving. They've looked really good. They've done everything they need to do on both sides of the ball. So, you know, I give a lot of credit um, to them. Anything else you want to touch on in San Fran, Minnesota? Like you said, this was the, the least competitive game we had. Well, I think I think one of the people say is Kirk Cousins, uh, again, did not come up big in a big game. He's a $30 million quarterback. We know what he did last week. But... I mean, look, I, I just thought it was Kevin Stefanski who just hired the Minnesota offensive coordinator to, to coach the Browns. And this is like, this is, if you're going to put this on your resume, it was not a very well-called game on his part, but San Francisco was really, really good on defense. And this is, again, if this is what San Francisco can do, they, they're going to shut down Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, you know, maybe you are looking at a Kansas City offensive Super Bowl with, uh, against uh, San Francisco's defense. But, they're, but San Francisco is more than their defense. They run the ball well. I mean, they did not. I mean, this is Jimmy G was not asked to do anything except just hand the ball off for like three quarters. And he did that okay. <laughs> so that was a good one. But it was a win. Again, we talked about these teams. San Francisco was ready to play the game. They were the number one seed. They won. Green Bay, the number two seed. They won. Kansas City was the number two seed. They won. They were, these are three teams that all had buys but still came in the game ready. The Ravens did not come in ready. So, Ira, the exact opposite of that happened. Had to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching it, and it was just like the Tennessee game, where they're immediately down 14 nothing, 
And then it got to 21 nothing and 24 nothing. They changed up what they were doing. They, they had the sense of urgency, but also didn't try to force anything. They played their game, and man, that was an impressive comeback. That's what you expect again. I'm going to throw it back to this game to Baltimore. It's that Baltimore looked like Tyson against Doug, Buster Douglas. If people remember about that boxing match, Tyson, not, Tyson was getting beat in that. And then he, got, then he suddenly threw a punch and knocked Douglas down and out. I mean, and Douglas gets back up. But here's like Tyson was known he, played, he had a terrible fight, awful. But now here's your chance. Like, here's your chance to, to, to get over, and he still wasn't able to overcome it. I felt like the Ravens had a chance to win their game, even when they played horrendously. But they couldn't do it, whereas Kansas City realized, okay, we're down 24 nothing. We played bad, but we came back. When they had their chance to come back, they took that lead by, by the end of the second quarter, and they got whatever, whatever uh, you know, within their slumber that they were in, they got woke up, and they uh, played tremendous there uh, in that second quarter. No, yeah, like it— the difference between the way Patrick Mahomes looked when he was down 24 and the way um, Lamar Jackson looked when he was down 14 was polar opposites. And it's to be expected. Lamar Jackson's a 22-year-old kid, his first playoff game. Like, th- th- there's reasons why this happened. But there's also a reason why Mahomes has established himself as, as, after yesterday, the top quarterback in the league. And I don't think it's debatable. Well, you saw Mahomes going up and down the line, yelling at the players. Getting, I mean, he was, and you saw with Rodgers, too. We're sitting behind the Raven bench. I mean, I was right behind the Raven bench. And Lamar Jackson, after every possession, he would just go to the bench, put a towel on his head, and just sit there. There was no excitement. There was no energy. There was nothing. It was just absolute nothingness. And, again, you're supposed to be a leader, and, and you're the 14-2, and two, and you're going to be the MVP of the league. You've got to do more. Mahomes, was, well, you watched on TV. He is just in everybody's face. He's talking. He's whatever. I mean, it was one of those things where Deshaun Watson, I mean, they go down 7 nothing, And then, you know, oh, like Kelsey dropping balls. And then the next thing, you know, Chiefs get a punt block. We're talking about special teams. The Chiefs get a punt block. And then, and then the, the, the Robinson dropped the ball for, for the Chiefs. They had to punt again. And uh, they were just, I mean, it seemed like moving the ball. The Texans could do whatever they wanted against, uh, against KC. Uh, but I think, you know, one of those key things was at 21 nothing. Now, on the Raven game, they did not go for it. On, uh, uh, they went for it on fourth down. But the, uh, the Texans on that fourth and one decided to kick the field goal. And then instead of going up 28 nothing, they kicked that field goal, made it 24 nothing. I don't know. Like, that was, I think, the moment where it's like, okay, we finally stopped them. I, mean, I think when you're the underdog like that, maybe they should have gone for that. But maybe they should have gone for, a, for, the, for the first down and tried to score a touchdown because they were within a like, 15-yard line. But I got to criticize Deshaun Watson. Because he was given a gift, the gift of twenty-four nothing. So you, you, you're up twenty-four nothing, and and he knows his defense stinks. He knows the Texans' defense is awful, and he didn't have to score another twenty-four points. But I think he needed to score a couple more touchdowns. And after they got that lead, he started reverting back to the Sean Watson against the Buffalo Bills and some of these other games where he's been very inconsistent. But I really felt that's where the KC defense stepped up. But I really felt like Deshaun Watson because after they scored that touchdown and made it. Uh, 24 nothing. That's when Hartman came the whole way down uh, on the return the kick for to like the 40 yard line and set the Kansas City up where they went on. So they made it 24 seven and they ended up uh, going. And then then the Texans get the ball back. They're up 24 seven on their 40 yard line 
So they don't go for it on fourth down, but then they try a fake punt from their 40-yard line. Again, turning the ball over, giving the Chiefs a short field, and then letting them go up, to, you know, go down and make a 24-14. So we talk about special teams, just a complete mess on both sides. Uh, but, uh, but it was just Mahomes to Kelsey, uh, everything. And then they kicked the ball off, and the Texans, what did the Texans do? They fumbled the kickoff, made it 24-21, and it was just, it was a nightmare. I mean, they go up, tw- they were down 24 nothing, and by the end of the half, uh, they're up 28-24. So, Ira, yeah, the two most bizarre plays of the weekend were that fake punt for no reason that they didn't get and the Derrick Henry throw. Like, both of those plays, it wasn't the time or the plays. Granted, Tennessee's worked, but I just thought those were, like, you know, so out of place. So, you know, it was amazing to see Mahomes, though, and them just keep coming. I think their average time of possession on those drives was three minutes. They were just down the field into the end zone. Well, they had they scored seven straight touchdowns. They scored it eight straight times. They had a field goal. Um, if you look at the overall stats of the game, Houston four forty two yards, Chiefs four hundred and thirty four, um, and the time of possession, Houston had thirty five minutes, Chiefs only had twenty five. But it was it was just Mahomes twenty five or thirty five, three hundred seventy one, but just keeps scoring. But I just again, I'm going to go back to Watson. I felt like he is an elite player. He's someone who people thought was going to be the MVP. He's got to score more points. Like this is a he. I was waiting for for something out of him and it just never came and, and, and that whole from the from the first quarter on when he got that 24 point lead uh you know one touchdown the rest of the way and it was really a meaningless touchdown but it was i thought that's where it was and bill o'brien is gonna get criticized for coaching the game I mean, there are a lot of you know the, the whole fake punt was a questionable decision not going for it on fourth down uh not changing up the defense when you saw what mahomes was doing and just throwing it to kelsey i mean Kelsey was totally destroying uh, the quarterback, 32 Johnson, and they just didn't change that up at all. I mean, Kelsey ended up with uh, uh, 10, pa- 10 catches for 134 yards. It just didn't appear that the, the, the Texans, you know, they saw what was happening and just couldn't stop it. And uh, so I think Bill O'Brien gets a lot of criticism. Deshaun Watson gets a criticism. And the Texans defense, I mean, J.J. Watt was not making any plays on the field at all. So it was a real, just, uh, if I'm a Texan fan, I'm like, boy, we had our chance. We had our gift. 24 nothing. We couldn't do anything with it. So, Ira, do you think Bill O'Brien should be a little bit worried about his job. I know it's crazy to think that, you know, this team consistently makes the playoffs, but we saw Marty Schottenheimer go 14-2 and and get fired because he couldn't win playoff games. What are you thinking if you're the GM and Bill, Bill O'Brien sitting there? Well, I think they won against Houston last week. I think that's it. If there's ever a question who's going to lose his job, I think the Houston, the, the Buffalo, they went against Buffalo in Houston. I think if he would have lost that game, that would have been a question. But he's actually acting as the de facto general manager right now. So I don't see him going, but I, I was just, I'm surprised. Like that, the game was a mess for them. I mean, again, you're given your chance, you're up to 24 nothing, and they just could not stop Casey at all. But not just stop Casey, they couldn't move the ball themselves. Their offense, totally melted down, and again, for three quarters against Buffalo, they couldn't move the ball. So really, for almost six of these eight playoff quarters, they've done nothing. I mean, there's seven, actually, well, yeah, yeah, six of the eight playoff quarters, they did absolutely nothing on offense, and that's it. And considering that Bill O'Brien's just the guru of offenses, just a terrible performance, and, and, and with guys with receivers like Fuller and, and, uh, and Hopkins, you just expect more. I mean, the Chiefs did have Chris Jones, who was one of their top defensive players. He got hurt in the practice before. I mean, this is a great advantage 
great chance for the Texans to have a huge win. And they would have hosted the play. People forgetting what would happen. Because the Ravens lost. If the Houston would beat Kansas City, they would be hosting the NFC Championship game. So what a chance that was. And if you're a Patriots fan, you know, you're nervous that you're going to be the number two seed. You're going to be the one people say, well, something could happen to Baltimore. Well, something did happen to Baltimore. But because if Patriots were playing yesterday, then they and won, they would have been hosting the AFC Championship game again. So even when you're, you know, it's always a chance that you never know what's going to happen. But three number ones or twos won it, and then the Ravens lost. So, Ira, let's get into uh, Green Bay and Seattle. Everyone was hyped for this game. I know I was. It was a matchup of two of the best quarterbacks of our generation. And the game, it, it wasn't as beautiful as I was expecting it to be, but still a good game. Well, I think what was surprising about this, I, I wanted to see Wilson and Rodgers. You always got a feeling that it, it's just going to be you have two elite quarterbacks, all-time greats, that can make it. You're just waiting for at the end of the fourth quarter for one's going to have one great drive and the other's going to have a great drive. But uh, the Seattle have lost eight straight games at Green Bay. And Green Bay, I said, Aaron Jones ran great. And to go up when they went up fourteen nothing, I mean that was key in terms of his running. He was just running the ball well, and uh, and and I think their ability to run the ball uh, against Seattle, uh, Seattle had trouble stopping Jones the entire day, and that was key. Uh, but even when they went up fourteen three, you're like Wilson's going to come back. Wilson's going to figure something out uh, to go in there. And uh, but then they dropped down. I mean it was. Uh, Dude, Clowney has just been involved in everything. I mean, at one point for Seattle, the Seattle defensive lineman, you saw what he did to Carson Wentz last week and knocked him out of the game. And then in this game, uh, he was he literally ripped the ripped the, the face mask off off the Packer and uh, got penalized for that. I mean, there was a question, you know, grabbing in there, but he was involved in. I think he had three unnecessary roughness penalties and just it was like Clowney was involved in every crazy play. But they're down twenty-one-three at the half. Um, and but you're expecting you're like okay even at 21-3 I think Seattle's going to have a chance to come back and they did they took the kickoff they uh, Wilson Russell Wilson had a long run they were there uh, you know he just started to say, say I'm going to take this game I'm going to be doing everything running passing which he does all the time they get 21-10 but then Rogers drove down and he passes the Devonte Adams passes Jimmy Graham for, uh, and the Adams pass was for 40 yards of touchdown to go up 28-10 but then Seattle gets the ball back and Wilson is just I mean he is, he, he that drive he had when they were to make it 28-17, he was in trouble. He just pitches the ball forward. He runs. He slides. He's just tremendous. I mean, that was great. And then he throws to a wide-open locket to make it 28-17. Green Bay goes three and out, and the fourth quarter starts. And like, okay, all the momentum is for Seattle. And they get it down to the two-yard line. Uh, Marshawn Lynch scores that touchdown. And they went for two. I don't know if I would have gone two. It's 28-23. I think I was just going to hit kick the extra point. But to go for two, get stopped. And uh, uh, and then Green Bay, they ran some time off the clock uh, because the Texans, I mean, not Texans, the Seahawks, Clowney, uh, was, had that one key penalty. I mean, that was just a disaster when he was holding Adams. But they ended up punting, so Seattle got the ball back with a few minutes to go, only down 28-3. And this is when you thought Seattle was, okay, they're going to come and this is going to be the drive. But they sacked Wilson, and, uh, and then Green Bay gets the ball back uh, with two minutes to go, two and a half minutes to go, and... I'm telling you, I, Aaron Rodgers threw probably two of the best passes of his life. That pass <laughs> to uh, uh, third and nine, a 25-yard pass to Devontae Adams was perfect, and then a third, then another third and nine to Jimmy Graham uh, for a first down, and, and and Russell Wilson. The best way to stop Russell Wilson is don't give him the ball back under two minutes, 
and uh, Aaron Rodgers was able to keep the ball and finish it out. So just a, a classic Aaron Rodgers game. He was getting a lot of criticism coming into the game. He was 16 for 27, two touchdowns. Aaron Jones only ran for 62 yards, but two touchdowns. And Devontae Adams, eight catches, 160 yards. Uh, just uh, just one of those wins where Green Bay and the Aaron Rodgers stepped it up and they did what they had to do and, and set themselves up to go up to San Francisco. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We'll be with Justin Watson of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here in just about three or four minutes. Ira, some new coaches. There was a little bit of a coaching carousel this past week. So I'm a Giants fan, and I got to tell you, when it came across my ticker that uh, Joe Judge was the new head coach, my immediate thought was, who the heck is Joe Judge? And I, I, I'm a little bit happier with after hearing him and learning more about his resume, and I, I think this might be a good hire. Well, I Judge was giving his press conference. I'm in a parking lot, I think at the Waterway Cafe. I'm coming out after lunch. I didn't want to drive in the car. I mean, I was so transfixed. You talk about winning the press conference, and you listened to him, and he was awesome. And you could see that the reporters, when they started questioning him, like, you're just a special teams coach. There were other big coaches out there. You're not this. You're not Josh McDaniels. Like, you're not this great coach. You're all this, you know, they, why did you get hired? And then you hear him talk, and it's like, you know, and I love this one defense about, he's like, I'm a special teams coach, but I have to handle every one of the players. Every player is could be a special teams player. When I handle player personnel, we look at players. What could they do on special teams? Like I was really impressed with his entire motivation. And he talked about we're going to teach how to tackle. We're going to teach how to hold the ball. Like the whole fundamentals thing. And I know every coach sort of says that, but boy, he came across impressive. Like it was really one of the most impressive press conferences I've ever heard. And and you're going to need that at New York Giants. He didn't he didn't give any baloney, but he was really straightforward. And it'll be interesting to see how he coaches. I mean, it just shows you there's so many great coaches coaching the NFL and college, too. And when you look at a guy like Belichick, who is so elite and much better than, it's like, wow. I mean, it's impressive. But now people are hiring a lot of these Patriots assistants. And I think that the Romeo Cornell and the Charlie Weisses that were that didn't do as well coaches as head coaches sort of cast this pale over Belichick. But now Brian Flores out of Miami is doing a very good job. You have Vrabel at Tennessee, and now you have Judge you have from the Belichick tree. They're like, this is how we do it in New England. This is how it's operated, and we're going to try to apply it in the other teams in the league. And I, and, and you see Bill O'Brien doing it in Houston too. So. I, it, I was very impressed, very impressed with that press conference. Yeah, you know, it, it was definitely, I think Brian Flores' success leveraged this guy a job a little bit. The fact that, like, hey, we took a, an unknown guy who just happened to work for Belichick for a decade, and he seems to be thriving with not much to work with in Miami. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens here, but I, I think it could be worse um, for Giants fans. Matt Rule was the other guy that was rumored to be going to the Giants a lot, but he ended up with Carolina, and I believe this was like a massive seven-year deal. Yeah, we had Jeff Nixon, his offensive coordinator, on on that Monday, and then on Tuesday or later, later that day, I guess Rule I mean, uh, Tuesday Rule was was hired. Um, he was supposed to go to the Giants when when the when Carolina when Carolina offered him seven years, sixty million dollars. I guess they they asked uh, Giants, "Do you want that?" And they're like, "No, we don't want to go that higher salary and whatever." But Rule's press conference was also impressive. I mean, I think what you're seeing these teams doing, they're like. At some at some level, they're like, we don't need you to call the defensive plays. We don't need you to call the offensive plays. We need someone who's going to run this 
program. We're going to put a culture in place. I mean, we're going to do that, and that's what rule and judges do. Like, judges, I'm not calling any play. I'm not going to call anything. I'm not calling special teams. I'm not calling one play. I'm here to manage this. And the same thing with what rules said. Rules came in and said, look, I am going to be uh, – he, he turned around Temple. He goes to Baylor in three years and turns it around. And I don't know if Caroline needs a huge turnaround, but he's talented work with, but it's almost this culture, this energy. Uh, I was really impressed. Great press conference, too. I mean, the two amazing guys, uh, back-to-back press conferences between Wool and Judge. So Mike McCarthy, longtime coach of the Green Bay Packers, he found his landing spot in Dallas. Ira, I think that this is boom or bust. Uh, I think either it's going to be one of these scenarios where the game passed him by and it's just not Mike McCarthy football anymore, or I think he's going to be really successful with Dallas. Right. I mean, Mike McCarthy was Aaron Rodgers' coach, but he also had to talk about, I mean, if there's ever a coach that might be able to handle the, the circus of Dallas, it could be Mike McCarthy. Because he was there when Brett Favre, I mean, people don't remember, like this was years ago, but Brett Favre re- re- uh, retires, then he comes back. They wanted to make Aaron Rodgers the quarterback because they knew he was you know, going to be Aaron Rodgers. They saw him in practice for like two years and saw how great he was. So they were ready to move on. Far wants to be the quarterback. The fans don't know who Rodgers is. They're like, you can't push Far out. So you have all this controversy and everything and the, the GM and this. And McCarthy handled it well. I mean, he, he goes to the class. I mean, he, and then at the end, he couldn't handle Rodgers. I mean, it's, again, you look at someone like Rodgers and McCarthy, they probably just were together so long and, and started to rub each other the wrong way. And, 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 uh, and, they, and they had went for a separation. But people say, yeah, at one point, like 15 years ago, McCarthy was this master wonder kid offensive genius under the Bill Walsh mantra. And now he's uh, the game's passing by. As we told, said last week, he's 56 years old. So I think he's, I do, I actually, I'm starting, I still like this hire. I think it's a great hire, and I think he's going to fit in well with this culture. And I think they needed to bring in someone with a gravitas McCarthy and experience. I think he's going to be able to handle Jerry Jones. I think he's going to be able to handle this team. Um, I think it's a good hire. So Ron Rivera goes to Washington. And I got to tell you, I, there's been no team more dysfunctional than what you know the only team more dysfunctional than Washington for the last decade has been the Browns. So this is not a good scenario. But I happen to think if anyone can get this job done, Ron Rivera might be the guy. Well, Rivera's had a team that's been fourteen and two and made the playoffs and made the Super Bowl. And uh and he was very successful with Carolina over the years, a two time coach of the year. Uh it was again, I think it was one of those things where he's Again, this is a culture-type coach. I mean, he's going to come in there and change the culture. And they have tried everything in Washington. When you look at Joe Gibbs the second time and Shanahan, and uh, it's just, it's just and, and Gruden. I mean, they bring name after name after name. Uh, Steve Spurrier, it doesn't work. Like, nothing they try. Like, I'm almost thinking if they bring Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, they're going to see failures in Washington. It's like, it's, it's like it's the graveyard of coaches. So we'll see what Rivera does. I, I'm not... I'm, I'm a little more cautious with what, how he's going to handle this, but uh, uh, but I, do, I I think it was the right. They they needed a professional hire. And Rivera. I mean, everyone talks about what kind of his character and what kind of leader he is. I, I think it. And, and the reason he he was let go in Carolina was really because the new owner was looking to just change everything, and he was from the previous ownership. Uh, I don't think I said I don't think he, he deserved to be fired totally on his performance. It's just that you have a new owner who's looking to, to just you know a fresh you know what it is his guy in there and what's going to be Matt Rule and. Last and possibly least, it's going to be the Browns locking down a Vikings offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski. This came out just minutes before you know football got going yesterday. So uh, this one, to me, is a little bit of a head-scratcher, I. 
Well, they interviewed Josh McDaniels, and I, we don't know uh, New England, and McDaniels was rumored a seven-hour interview. He came there with his wife, um, and people thought they were going to be announced that McDaniels was going to be hired, but it wasn't done. And they interviewed six other coaches. Uh, I, Stefanski's name has been out there. Uh, Dee Podesta, who was running the uh, search, wanted to hire him last year before they hired Freddie Kitchens. But, uh, again, it's a weird hire. He's been an offensive coordinator for a year, an year and a half, sort of like Freddie Kitchens. There's a question. This is like one of those things where it wasn't like the culture thing. It's like we're going to hire someone who's more of a coordinator. And it didn't work last time, so I was surprised about this. But um, maybe he can maybe have an explosive offense, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm not as impressed with this hire, especially after how poorly uh, uh, Minnesota played against San Francisco. It was not the best uh, you know, sending send-off to why I should get this job at uh, we do have Justin Watson on the line from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll get to him now. Let's talk to Justin. Hi, Justin. Uh, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good. So, um, so Justin, you're, you, we brought you on because you have some experience. I mean, first of all, congratulations on your second year in the NFL. Uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those years that was up and down, very exciting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you're and you had your best. You saved your best to last in the uh, next, the, the final, next to last game. You had five receptions for 43 yards and a touchdown against the uh, Houston Texans. So congratulations on a on a seven and nine year, which maybe isn't what the, what the Bucks were hoping for, but essentially they got hot there at the end and had a nice four game win streak in the middle of the year. Yeah, thank you. I thought it was uh, you know a year of a lot of growth both for our team and for myself, and uh, you know we were able to put together a five game winning streak down the stretch there and. Obviously, seven and nine isn't what we shot for at the beginning of the year, but I think uh, you know starting next year there's going to be a belief and a you know just a know how to win that we learned from this year. Right. So the first week of the season, you guys lost to San Francisco, thirty-one um, seventeen. So give us some insight. I know it was a long time ago. It was September. It was warm. But what made – I mean, you got the first taste of what Sam, how you know, this great San Francisco team, and they were the number one team. Tell me what makes San Francisco so special as this team and, and why they had this fantastic year so far. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, week one probably isn't, uh, you know, the best showing of any team, um, us or them. Um, you know, they, they definitely saw, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that came uh, – and they made a lot of big plays against us. You know, their front seven is incredible. Uh, their pass rush is really good. Um, so that's something that jumped off the tape. And, you know, Richard Sherman's still playing at an extremely high level, um, you know, even later in his career. Um, and I think Jim Garoppolo's done a great job of uh, growing and coming back from injury. And I thought that the game against us wasn't his best game, but down the stretch here, he's done a great job of leading these guys. Wow. I mean, that was – and then you also – play Tennessee. So there's four games, four teams left. So you play Tennessee in week eight, you lost 27, 23 and Derrick Henry only scored, only had 75 yards against you guys. But tell us about, you know, about the Tennessee defense and, and you saw this massive performance they had against the Ravens two days ago, but talk a little about what, what made Tennessee so special in terms of their defense. Yeah, I thought with them, uh, you know, I'm just impressed, uh, you know, one with their coaches. I thought they, they had a good, great game plan against us, and I thought um, they had an unbelievable game plan, um, you know, going against Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens. And seeing what they did against the opposing defenses all year uh, makes it even more impressive. And I think it's uh, the other impressive thing is that they're doing it as a team, you know. Uh, I don't think many people in America can point at one or two guys um, that are big stars or big names um, coming into the season. 
But, you know, guys are just stepping up and making plays um, when it's the time to. So I think that's what great teams do. Um, it's not, you know, that's why football is such a great team game. It's not one or two guys. It's 11 guys every play uh, doing their job. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. What what do you see about Kansas City? I know you didn't play Kansas City this year, but but for Tennessee to stop, just really shut down the Patriots and shut down the Ravens, you're like, well, they're never going to be able to shut down Kansas City. But do you think it's a, it's possible they can they can really hold Mahomes down to maybe like twenty some points and, and pull out of the, another uh, the third upset in in three weeks? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, that's a bold prediction, especially seeing what uh, Kansas City did, uh, you know, this past Sunday. Um, you know, I think uh, I don't know. I'm excited. You know, it's it's a battle of a great defense and a uh, and a great offense. You know, I think uh, the one thing that might separate Kansas City and their speed, I think their speed on the uh, on the outside is something that is hard to imitate in practice, and you uh, you really can't game for. Game plan uh, well for speed, and so I think uh, you know, just that might be the factor that separates Kansas City having that speed on the outside and um, having a quarterback that knows how to get those guys the ball. Yeah. So what's interesting is that so this year you 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 were part of this just a uh, tremendous awesome and James, James went offense. James Winston led the league in passing yards. You had Chris Godwin and Mike Evans at wide receiver. Uh, Talk about your offense a little bit in terms of what made it so explosive that you're able to put these just ridiculous numbers up almost on a weekly basis. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think it all starts uh, with our team and our offense. I think it starts in the receiver room. You know, I get to see Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, uh, you know, every day in practice, and uh, you know, those guys are two of the best in the world. You know, I, I can't, I, I they're they're my two best receivers in the right now, and I know I'm biased. Uh, I've seen what those guys do week in and week out and uh, you know how much cover two we did and how much double coverage those guys attract every single week um, and to be able to consistently put up those numbers. Um, it's hard to argue that there's two better receivers, especially on the same team, than uh, the two we got down in Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, Jameis, he's a, he's a guy that believes in every one of our receivers, you know, whether it's Mike, Chris, you know, myself, Prashad Perryman. Obviously, Mike and Chris got uh, hurt towards the end of the year. And you know, Jameis is a great leader and, uh you know, has the confidence for the ball fly. And, uh, you know, as a receiver, you love playing for a guy like that that always has the belief in you, always thinks that you're going to come down with the ball and improves it by, uh, you know, letting the ball fly. Yeah, I mean, what makes – I mean, everyone's been on Winston's case because he throws the interception, but he still goes and throws with the yards and throws with the touchdowns. I mean, what's his makeup in terms of – I mean, he throws the interception and then just keeps going, just keeps trying, and it doesn't let it – doesn't seem like it phases him at all. He just He's just looking to score points. Yeah, you know, he's got uh, a great mindset to play the game of football. And it's, you know, whether it's a touchdown or if it's an incompletion or an interception – He's always on to the next play, and uh, you know I think our offense and our team as a whole um, kind of followed that this year. Whether we were up 14 or we were down 14, uh, we're going to keep playing. So uh, you know I think it's he gets a lot of unfair media attention. You know obviously uh, quarterbacks just have to to eat a lot of that. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the plays this year, um, you know, a couple of them were receivers maybe being in the wrong position or uh, you know pressure off the backside that forced him to get off his spot. So obviously as a quarterback in the NFL, um, you know, a lot of the scrutiny gets put on you, but you know, football's a team game and, and a lot of those um, you know, weren't all on, on Jameis Winston. 
So the, you played a, a ton of special teams this year and last year. Um, and the special teams is now in the, in the forefront. Joe Judge was just with the special teams coach for New England. He's at a press conference. And he's getting attacked for just, quote, only being a special teams coach. And then you watch the Kansas City-Houston uh, uh, game, and I think every single play that was made in the game was before, you know, the first, uh, the first half was a special teams play. And I'm, like, taking my notes of the game and saying, look, special teams, special teams. Uh, talk about the special teams and, and, and just the importance that uh, Tampa Bay puts it on, puts on it, and, and what's your role in terms of what, what types of special teams are the punting and the kickoffs coverage and those things that you do. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, special teams is something that I've grown to love. It's something that uh, no one in the NFL, I think, uh, plays much special teams in college, you know, and everyone that's in the NFL was their star receiver, star corner, star linebacker, and um, you know, didn't didn't really play much special teams in college. So I think for everybody, you have to come in with a, a willingness to learn, and you know, just the you know just the willingness to put in the effort and the time into getting good at it. Um, but yeah, that's what special teams doesn't ever get talked about until it you know wins or loses a football game, and then you see how important it is. So I think uh, you know for us um, in Tampa Bay, with something that we put a ton of pride on. Um, and it's uh, you know just just not being talked about. We want to be um, a special teams unit that runs, hits, um, is good in, in protection. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, we don't need the credit or anyone patting us on the back. It's one of those jobs that uh, you know you love when no one's talking about you because that means you're doing a good job. So it's kind of a, uh, I think I kind of feel for offensive linemen in that respect now. Um, it's obviously a really important job, and uh, you know people are on your case if you let up a sack, or people are on your case if you give up a block punt as a as a unit. Um, so you just know you're doing a good job when no one's talking about you. Wow. So, I mean, it is, it is, that's, I just, it just came to that because they were attacking judges like, Oh, you're just a special teams coach. And he's like, I'm responsible for, you know, everybody, Tom Brady could play special teams. Like he's going to be a holder on a kick. Like I'm responsible for every one of the guys. I am more, I have more interaction like with, with all more players than the offense coordinator, and the defensive coordinator does. So that's why it was just interesting to see how it came to the forefront. Um, Bruce Arians is uh, your coach's, eccentric to some extent, but has is one of the greatest minds. I, I'm a big, of course, big Steeler fan. You grew up in Pittsburgh, and you saw how his work with Ben mm-hmm. Rotzenberger. What's it like to to actually work with someone like Arians that has all this knowledge, all this experience, has been in the NFL forever, uh, on, but you get to actually be coached by him on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's uh, it's truly an honor, and I, I really view it as a privilege. And uh, you know, my development in the last year has uh, been sped up a lot because of him. And, uh, you know, I think initially coming in, um, you know, it's for new head coaches, you have to earn your players' trust and respect a lot of times. But when, you know, a name like Bruce Arians comes down to Tampa Bay, um, he had everybody's trust and respect before he even stepped in the building. Um, so right away, everyone was bought in. Uh, we know that he knows how to win. He's won in the past. Um, and offensively, he's an incredible mind. You know, I think uh, he put us in great positions all year uh, to make plays, especially at, at the receiver position. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those guys that when he talks, you shut up and listen. And, uh, you know, that's there's no better bigger compliment I think you can pay a coach than when, you know, he's up there on the, on the front of the stage, everyone's looking at his eyes and is quiet because they know um, he has something important to say and it's going to help us win. So we're talking to Justin. We're on. This is Iron Sports. 
95.9, we're talking to uh, Tampa Bay tight end Justin Watson, who's just completed his second year. So now you're going to go in your third year next year. What are you doing this summer? This, I mean, we're not summer, but technically, but this winter and the fall, what are you going to, what are you doing to get ready for next year to, st- to take it to even a, a, the next level in terms of, of, of staying in the NFL? Yeah. So uh, right now we're, we're, we're two weeks removed. Um, so the first two weeks are kind of your rest and relaxation. And then uh, this week um, is, is kind of when we start back uh, with the training pretty hard. Um, but for me, I think, uh, you know, my biggest thing is uh, just continuing to work on my speed and, and uh, quickness in and out of my breaks. Um, you know, that's something that uh, is, you know, the main job of receivers in this league is creating space and creating throwing windows for your quarterback. And um, obviously catching the ball is something that uh, comes with the job and something that uh, I also spend a lot of time on. But, you know, at this level, it's uh, finding small things to get really good at. So, uh, you know, last year I was, I would have said, told you the same thing 12 months ago. And you know, I made a, a lot of improvement in the last 12 months. Um, but you know, now there's a whole new set of receivers coming in the draft. There's a whole new set of receivers becoming free agents and, and looking for those second contracts. So uh, you just have to continue to push yourself um, to get even better and, and prove why you know, these new uh, class of 30 receivers are about to come in, um, You know why you're still better than them and, and deserve a spot on an NFL roster. So for me, it's uh, you know it's a speed game. I talked about the Chiefs and the speed they have and, and how, uh, how important that is uh, for receivers to go create space. And for me, that's going to be my focus this offseason. Well, I mean, you got the team has got to be excited. I mean, for next year, I mean, you got Godwin and Evans, who potentially, as you just said, might be the two best wide receivers in football on the same team. And uh, it, it looks like Winston, you know, is, is going to come back, and you and you have a lot of good young players. That you got to be excited to be in Tampa Bay uh, next year to, to sort of take that take that next leap to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I think we're hungry. Um, you know, even more than excited. Uh, I think. Uh, by the time we kind of figured it out this year and started learning how to win and, and started uh, playing well and playing complimentary football on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, it was kind of too late. And, uh, you know, the losses that we took in, in September, um, we couldn't overcome late in the season, even with a, uh, a long win streak. Um, so it was tough. We were riding like a three-game win streak, and then that's when we got eliminated from the playoffs. Um, so I think this year there's a hunger to – you know, win and, and be a good team from week one next year. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, that's going to fuel us this offseason more than excitement or, or a hope to win is just that hunger knowing that uh, and we should have won a lot more football games this, this past season and, and we're not going to let any get away next season. Well, we're here in West Palm Beach, and I'll tell you that you might think this is dolphin country, but I know a lot of Tampa Bay fans and, and of course, people on both sides of the state. So a lot of people are rooting for you, and I, I wish you the best of luck next year and good luck in, in training in this off season and everything and enjoy the, the games next weekend. And uh, do you have any predictions on the, on the game tonight of the New Orleans for the, uh, the Clemson-LSU game? Any, any predictions on, on this game? You know, uh that's a tough one. I've, I've always been a fan of, uh, of Dabo and what he's done at Clemson. Um, and it's a, truly a battle of two great programs, but I think, uh, you know, the storybook ending for LSU is, is going to come true um, tonight. You know, it just seems like it's been their year. They have a great quarterback leading them and, and for it to all come home uh, in New Orleans is going to be really special for all those guys. So I know it's going to be a phenomenal game. It's two great programs, but 
it just seems like it's LSU's year and, uh, you know, the stars are aligning for them to win tonight. Well, Justin, thanks so much for coming on to Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. And, again, best of luck for, uh, for next year. Yeah, thanks, Ira. It was a great being with you. 95.9, the true oldies channel, Mike Balsamo here. It's Ira on sports. And, Ira, you are in Louisiana getting ready for this game tonight. What do you think is going to happen with Clemson and LSU? Well, I've been to four previous national championship games. I was at 1986. I was at when Oklahoma beat Penn State. Uh, I was sitting at the top row of the stadium. I was closer to the blimp than I was the field. And Jamel Holloway was awesome for Oklahoma. It was, uh, and Penn State didn't play well. But then Penn State came back the next year in 1986. And I was in, in Arizona, Phoenix, for the most when, when uh, the Miami, the unbeaten, the, maybe the greatest team, as they said, of all time, Vinny Testaverde, Mike Irvin, Mike Irvin, they come off the plane in military fatigues. Uh, they were probably, I think, 12 or 13 point favorites over Penn State and quarterback John Schaefer. And that's where they, they stopped it. Penn State suddenly figured out a way to stop Miami. I was at that game. What a game. And being a Penn State fan, that was just awesome for the. And then in 2014, I was in, is at the Rose Bowl when Jameis Winston, Devontae Freedom, Freeman uh, beat uh, D4, the defensive lineman we're talking about for San Francisco uh, at Auburn. They won 34-31. Uh, that was a weird game because the ticket prices were like maybe like $20 to get in because there were no Florida State or Auburn fans all the way in Pasadena. So I wish I had that for what I'm saying for today. But, I mean, I literally sat 50-yard line seat. I was sitting next, and I sat right behind Charles Barkley. He was great. He was, it was, I remember that game for that. And in 2015, I was at the Ohio State game at the AT&T Stadium where Ezekiel Elliott rushed for 246 yards, and they beat Oregon uh, for the national championship. So I haven't been one for in three, four years. So I'm pumped for this game. Uh, as I said before, I really believe this is the one of those games. Uh, Clemson's won 29 in a row, 59 and four in 73 games. Uh, they have, in the, they've only lost four four times in, in, in like in five six years. And you can you, you just remember them. They lost to Bama one time uh, when Bama beat Deshaun Watson, one of the greatest games of all time. They lost to Alabama again in 2018, and we throw in a loss to Pitt and a loss to Syracuse, and that's it. Uh, they are the, one of the greatest. They have the best runs I've ever seen on a team uh, in terms of this past decade. And then you talk about uh, LSU and Ed Oregonian. I mean, here's a guy when you watch, watch the blind side and you see him at Mississippi. He was fired from Mississippi. He goes to USC. He's an interim, co- interim coach there. They thought he could get the job. He doesn't get the job. He's out of coaching for a year, just watching television, watching his kids play football. Goes back to LSU as a defensive coordinator. Les Miles gets fired. He becomes the interim coordinator, inter- interim coach there. And they're like, he's never going to get the head job. He's never going to get the head job. Gets the head job. And, uh, and then he's 9-4 and four and 10-3 and three with no offense whatsoever. People want him fired. And they say, look, I've got to change my offense. I've got to do something. He brings in John Brady from New Orleans Saints. And they get Joe Burrow going the right way, and they have the best offense you ever could imagine. So it's like these two programs that it's just, I, it's just great. I mean, I'm just pumped for this game. And when you look at Trevor Lawrence for Clemson, the quarterback, and you look at Joe Burrow, the quarterback for, for LSU, I said this last week. This is, I'm trying to think of a connection in college football where you had two elite quarterbacks going into the game, and I can't think of it. And I might be wrong where you said these guys are going to go against each other like forever. And I, I almost have to go back to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird in 79 when they played. And when people, people looked at that game and they knew Larry Bird was going to be one of the greatest players of all time. And they knew Magic Johnson was going to be. And I almost feel like that now where I think Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, 
for the next 15 years of our lives, maybe 20, are going to be, one of them is going to be in, like, the Super Bowl, or they must be competing against. It can be Brady and Manning. Like, and this is the start. If people are going to think about this game, and this is going to be this monster great 45-40 game, and they're going to think back to this game of when these two guys played against each other. So that's what, what I'm so excited about this. Yeah, so Ira, you on this show, before the playoff was even determined, you said Clemson's going to win it all. You still sticking with that? I'm still. I, I'm going to go to one game. I know this is a stupid game, but it's 58-37, LSUB Mississippi. John Reese Plumley carried the ball 21 times for 212 yards and four touchdowns. Now, they were up 31-7. to seven. There's a lot of excuses. I just think that LSU's defense, and I know Oklahoma could not challenge it, I just think that Trevor Lawrence is going to, you're going to see those long runs. I think that they've had trouble stopping quarterbacks running at the middle. John Reese Pumley is not Trevor Lawrence. He's like one tenth of Trevor Lawrence. I just think that Clemson is just an offensive powerhouse. I think, look, if they had to play a week after playing Ohio State, they would have been banged up and not ready. But I think that extra two weeks let them recover. They've already had their war against Ohio State. Oh, uh, LSU played a scrimmage against Oklahoma. That wasn't even a football game. And I just think that LSU, with T. Higgins, Justin Rocks, Ross, uh, uh, Travis Etienne at running back, Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, is an, 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 an elite. You're going to see three cleansing guys in the NFL on the offensive line. I just think that that offense is just unstoppable. I think they're just going to play great. Now, LSU's offense is unstoppable, too, but I like Clemson's defense a little bit better. I just think that when you look at if you're watching uh, Clemson play, look at Isaiah Simmons, number 11, all over the field. Look at A.J. Terrell, the quarterback, number 8. I just think that Clemson is going to make bigger plays on defense, that they're going to somehow they're going to stop Burrow, and as I said, it's going to, it might just be a 45-40, a 52-46, some crazy number, but I just think that they're going to get that one extra stop. I don't think Clemson can be stopped offensively at all, and I just think that's why. I, I just feel like I like Clemson's defense just a little bit more than I like LSU's defense. Um, all right, Ira, so something happened today that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> uh, Major League Baseball decided to spend, uh, suspend the Astros' general manager and manager for a year, also took away some draft picks from them. Within an hour, the Astros just outright fired them. I wasn't didn't see this coming. I didn't see it either. Uh, we talked about this where I'm shocked. I think there's, this is just, it's crazy. It, he got, they got fired because they were banging on a drum because they used technology to tell uh, what, what the pitches were coming. I mean, this is almost like, like you know, and then they get fired. I mean, it's suspending Belichick and Brady for Deflategate or something like that. I mean, it was, it's, to me, uh, it's even worse because it seems like this is going on throughout baseball. So to pick the Astros and to suspend the manager and suspend the general manager, who now comes out, the general manager did not know they were doing this at all. And he gets suspended now, fired. And he's the brilliant architect that puts it together. I mean, all my friends who are other teams are like, can we hire A.J. Hinch? Like, can we hire Jeff Lou now? Like, they want to hire these Astros guys. Like, we don't care. You're suspended. Because I think everyone realizes this goes on. Now, Alex Cora is the, is the manager of the Red Sox. He was part of this when this was going on. Now they're saying he's going to get, by the time, you know, he could get suspended for a year or two. And you have Carlos Beltran, who is on the, uh, uh, who is now uh, the manager for the match. And he was supposedly involved in all this. And that's what the Astros, but these other teams do the same thing. With technology the way it is, and as advanced as it is, I, I can't believe not every, I mean, I'm shocked that it's not going on, but to, to, to suspend the manager for an entire year, and they took away first and second round picks for the next two years. I mean, totally destroyed the Astros. 
Uh, I'll tell you what, I said this before, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm just, you, you not only now you take their best pitcher, and, you know, like, like what more could happen to the Astros? I mean, this benefits the Yankees. The only team that could think, the only two teams that could think of challenging the Yankees are the Astros and Red Sox. The Red Sox are just in free fall and trying to figure out what to do. Now the Astros are a complete mess. So uh, the Yankees are the big beneficiary of this. So, Ira, real quick, uh, we're going to see Conor McGregor face off against Cowboy Cerrone this weekend. This is the first fight for McGregor in a while, right? Well, it's hilarious. I mean, Conor McGregor is by far the biggest draw you'll see. I mean, I'm excited to watch this. I think it's going to be great. He is a showman of all showmans that you could have. But he hasn't won a bout since 2016, November. It's over three years that he's won, won a fight. Since 2017, he fought Floyd Mayweather. And in 2018, uh Khabib, uh, destroyed him. In 2018, so he hasn't been in the ring in in, in, all, in literally a year and a half, and uh, uh, and he hasn't won in three over three years, and he's still by far the number one draw in the UFC. You talk about the UFC wanting McGregor to win this fight against Cowboy Johnson. I mean, this is important. I mean, he is a draw of all draws, and it's important. This is the UFC as much as they have they've had stars. He's been the he's the biggest star the UFC has ever had, and I mean they're all pushing for him to win this fight, and they I just. I'm not going to put any, I don't know. I can't predict this at all because I don't know. But Tyrone is definitely capable of winning this. And, uh, but uh, from the UFC perspective, uh, I mean, this is going to be the most watched UFC uh, in, in the last two years, I'm sure, in terms of uh, buy rates and ratings and everything like that. But uh, it'll be exciting to see that Saturday night. Ira, before we wrap it up, Australian Open kicks off this week. Well, it starts on Sunday. This is, again, and we, this could be any. You know how much I love tennis? <laughs> and uh, just don't know how much Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, you know, they could almost all quit in one year. But, again, it's going to be exciting to see that down in Australia. Serena had a one in three years and just won a, 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 a lower-level tournament down in, I think it was Australia uh, last week or this past weekend. So she's she's trying to get the break the Margaret Court's all-time record of 24 to get her 25th win, so 25th major win. So I'm pumped. I mean, the, the way that the golf does, I mean, the way the tennis does their, their major, the Australian Open falls in January. We don't have our first golf major till April uh, with the Masters. But uh, no, I'm excited with the Australian Open. I'll be up at three in the morning watching it. But <laughs> it's uh, it's great. Not many fans like you out there, Ira. So you're at the national championship. What else you got going on this week? Um, well, what? <laughs> this is this is a big. I'm excited. We'll be on the show next week. I know it's gonna be a while. It's gonna be a week after. But I'll, I'll I'm gonna get down there. We're done with this, doing this taping. I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna walk around, order my ticket. I'm gonna get to the stadium early. Just get a flavor of what's going on in terms of the fans, the excitement, and hopefully we're gonna have one of those classic games. I mean, I'm really looking for a classic. I'm really looking for like 10 years from now, people will be talking about this game. So I'm pumped for that. And then on Sunday, I'm gonna be I'm uh, gonna go up to San Francisco and watch the. Uh, 49ers and the and the Packers, it, it, another classic game. I mean, I I like I, I really like the 49ers to win that game. I think their defense is there, and I'm just not sold on the Packers in terms of overall. I mean, besides Rodgers, I, I just I just like the 49ers in that. And uh, I I would I want to say I think Tennessee is going to be Kansas City. I think Kansas City's offense is just too great. I think Kansas City's got the firepower, and I think Tennessee will have some good. It might keep the game close for a couple quarters, but I think eventually Kansas City is just going to blow Tennessee out. Uh, but those are my, my two predictions. I think Kansas is favored by seven, and so is uh, San Francisco. But I got, yeah, I got two. Uh, this is the Monday and the Sunday. I got two of the biggest games you could go to. Absolutely you do. I want to thank Justin Watson of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so much for stopping by. We are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.